I do feel very loved. Thank you very much. That is really kind, and it's great to be with you. If you have a Bible, do you want to turn to John chapter 12? If you have a Bible, if you haven't, don't worry. We'll put the words up here. Um, But if you do, then John chapter 12 is where we're just going to look at a few verses in a few moments. Um, But I want us to look at a question. I want to ask you a question today, which is, is life a tragedy or a comedy? Think about that question. Is life a tragedy or a comedy? And by that, I don't mean... Is your life right now going really well or really badly? Because probably in the room this size, there'll be some people who have just had the best week of their lives and some who have just had the worst week of their lives and many who are a bit of both. And you said, well, kind of Tuesday was fine. It was a lovely sunny day and then I stubbed my toe and it all got awful or whatever. But that's the kind of, I'm not asking, how are you doing now? I mean, is the shape of life, the human life, the life from, the, you know, the whole life you have, is that shaped like a comedy or like a tragedy? And you may have studied Shakespeare in school, and if you, if you did, you, you may well have under, like been taught that a comedy in Shakespeare doesn't mean something that makes you laugh all the time, because some of them aren't that funny. And you might have learned that tragedies don't necessarily mean something that makes you cry, but that a comedy was something that, although things started off looking like they were going to go badly, ended really well. And a tragedy is something that looks like it was going okay, and then everything went awful and everyone died. Did you come across that idea? So so when I ask, is life shaped like a comedy or a tragedy, I mean, is it something that things kind of look like they're going a bit wrong, but then it all ends well? Or is life something that looks like it's going okay, and then it actually ends up in pain and tears? So I was in two Shakespearean plays when I was at university. I was in a play called Much Ado About Nothing, which is, is really funny, I think. It's a really great play. And it's one of the, there's a scene in the middle of it where it looks like it's all falling apart. And the character I play and the character played by someone who was then my girlfriend ending up yelling and screaming at each other. And then the wedding's off, storming out. Massive recrimination and that villain sneaking around. And so it looks like it's all going wrong. But at the end, it goes well and everyone gets married as they always do. Every Shakespearean comedy, there's cross-dressing and a wedding, pretty much. That's all you need to know about those Shakespearean comedies. And then I was in a tragedy as well, and that was called Romeo and Juliet, which is a more familiar story. And in Romeo and Juliet, it's a lovely love story. It's going great. It's like, oh, this guy's so cute. Oh, look at that speech. Oh, he's coming up to her window. And then everybody dies. And I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but that's the gist. And again, a tragedy and a comedy is not really, is it all going well? It's more, does the the ending mean that it suddenly becomes dark or that it suddenly becomes happy? And if you stop each of those plays halfway through, you wouldn't know which it was. You actually need to know what the ending's like to be able to tell what kind of a story it is. And that's true of human stories more generally as well. If it helps, a comedy is shaped like a smile. Yeah? Starts good. Goes wrong, difficult, difficult, but then it goes, resolves well and happily, and they all live happily ever after. A tragedy is shaped like a frown. Goes up, looks like it's going all well. <gasps> no, and then everybody dies. Right? Comedies end in a wedding. Tragedies end in a funeral. And the question is, which is the human life? Is life a comedy or a tragedy? Is it shaped like a smile, or is it shaped like a frown? Now, in most views of the world at least in this city, I think you'd have to say that life is ultimately a tragedy. Whether people are okay with that or not, that's really the shape of the story that you have to have if you are, broadly speaking, a sort of secular, agnostic-y, atheist-y person. Because it all ends in death. 
And as a result, it is tragic, even if it's something you might feel upbeat about, and many people don't. Many people say it's a tragedy, and you need to acknowledge that it is and live accordingly. Because it ends with a funeral rather than a wedding. Right? Professor Lawrence Krauss, who you may famous atheist who debates Christians a lot and debates all sorts of people a lot, scientific expert as well. Um, His comment, the picture that science presents to us is uncomfortable. Because what we have learned is that we are more insignificant than we could ever have imagined. And in addition, it turns out that the future is miserable. Uh, So it's great to have at parties, people like this, they just go around hanging out, handing out drinks and saying that. But actually, he's calling it straight what an awful lot of people believe and pretend they don't. He's actually saying something that lots of people in this city believe. He's just saying it fairly bluntly, right? More lyrically and poetically. You may remember Richard Ashcroft from The Verve 20-odd years ago. Beautiful, beautiful song, right? It's a bittersweet symphony, this life. You try to make ends meet, you're a slave to money, then you die. That's it. Again, you're like, thanks, that's really great, that's made my day. But a lot of people, actually, they're just saying something that a lot of people believe and just saying it quite directly, And that is a pessimistic take on the tragic story. But there are optimistic takes on it as well. There are people who might be quite upbeat, and quite so many of my friends are. They're actually quite sunny, optimistic people. But nevertheless, the story that they believe about the shape of the human life is still tragic in shape. It's up and then down. right? And I think that's the kind of optimistic view of tragedy that you find whenever you see a book or a TV show entitled 31 Things to Do Before You Die. Right? You notice the tragic shape of that, right? It's optimistic. Spend money, because they're trying to sell you stuff, right? Spend money, because in a few years' time, you won't be able to, because you'll be in the ground and it's very cold and dark. But for now, you can go traveling, right? 31 things to do before you die. It's even got a tragic shape in that sentence. A thousand and one things. Have you seen those books? A thousand. Who's got the money to do it? Go to a thousand and one places because you told me to. But a thousand and one places to see before you die. It's an optimistic take on a very tragic story. And uh, advertising, in a way, is tragic. In, I don't mean that advertisers are, but I think the, the pitch of a lot of advertising is often tragic. It's you need to make the most of the time you have now because one day you won't be able to. And that's the appeal that we we often make. And a generation ago, the phrase that was doing... When I was at university, people would often use the phrase carpe diem, Latin for seize the day, because of the Dead Poets Society. Robin Williams, this sort of inspiring teacher, seize the day, boys, carpe diem. Grab hold of life while you can, because soon you'll be in the ground. Make hay while the sun shines, because it's going to be very dark shortly. Nowadays, it's more like YOLO, isn't it? It's you only live once, but the same pitch, yeah? You only live once, so make the most of it all, and soon it'll be gone. It's a tragic narrative. It's a tragic shape. And the cult of youth that we have in our society is another telltale sign, I think, that people are obsessed with looking and feeling and being and acting like they are young, even when they patently aren't. Our generation is obsessed with looking and acting young, and we spend, spend billions on it. And actually, old people, when they do things that old people normally typically do, we kind of ignore them. When old, the only time you praise an old person on social media these days is when they're doing something that young people normally do. Yeah? You don't get, look at this amazing picture of what old people usually in most cultures have done, which is, here's an old person sitting in a chair talking to a younger person imparting wisdom about life. Yeah? That's what in most societies old people are honoured for doing. In our culture, we never do that. In our culture, look at this old person, she went bungee jumping at the age of 80. And you're like, oh, wow, that is amazing, I'll share that. This guy ran a marathon at the age of 91. And you think, okay, well, that is kind of amazing. 
But it's interesting that I'm only commending age when it's doing something that young people are supposed to do. And that is another witness to the tragic shape of the story. Because what those older people, what I'm really commending them for, is making me feel like death is a bit further away. Because when, if you can still act young when you're 90, then I'll still be young when I'm 90. Do you see, it's a, it's a tragic shape of story. My friend Glenn Scrivener puts it like this in his book, Divine Comedy. He says, we are the flotsam of a cosmic explosion, biological survival machines, wet robots, clinging to an insignificant rock hurtling through a meaningless universe towards exter- eternal extinction. But still, the new flavored latte from Starbucks is incredible. And if you tried hot yoga... And we're renovating the kitchen, so you know, that, that's nice. As the annihilating tsunami of time bears down on us, we obsess over our sandcastles, the promotion, the holiday, the new gadget, and we dare not look up. That's, I think that's a clever way of saying it, but you get the idea, the point he's trying to make, even if you think, well, that's quite strongly stated. Because he's trying to say, life is shaped like a tragedy, and we try and forget that it is, if death's the end. Secular atheist story is broadly true. If comedies end with weddings and tragedies end with funerals, then surely, if you don't have any sort of hope beyond the grave, then surely life is a tragedy in that sense. By definition, it has its ups, but in the end it all ends in tears with a funeral, a dirge, and fade to black. Until Jesus comes along to say and to do something completely different. This is John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of God. This is one of those things that Jesus says that turns worldly wisdom on its head. Right? It is deliberately paradoxical. It's a topsy-turvy, upside-down, subversive sort of comment. Whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world, or in another text, whoever gives up his life, dislikes his life in this world for the sake of me and the kingdom, will keep it for eternal life. So you, you cling on to everything you have now, you lose it. You give up everything you have now, you gain it. It's a deliberate inversion of the way the world thinks. And it presents life as a comedy rather than a tragedy. It presents life as shaped like a smile, not shaped like a frown. A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. But if it does, it will bear much fruit, much, much fruit. Whereas if a grain of wheat stays and doesn't die, it remains alone and produces nothing. See, it's the deliberate inversion of the way that the world would think. And Jesus is speaking that way about himself, and he's speaking that way about people who follow him. Saying, I am the grain of wheat. As the son of man, I'm in the next few days. This is what I'm going to do, Jesus is saying. I am going to fall into the ground and die. And I could hold on to what I have, but if I did, I would remain alone. And I don't want to do that. I want to bear much, much fruit. So I'm going to die, and then I'm going to step out of the grave, and I'm going to take you all with me. And I'm going to bear much, much fruit. 
And that is the narrative shape of Christianity. Christianity is shaped like a smile. It's not shaped like a frown. It's not a tragedy. It's a comedy. And the reason is that the life of Jesus, unlike any other biography you've... I put it to you that every biography you've read has the same essential shape. Right? Whether the narrative is chopped and changed and messed around with, however well it's written, the narrative of any biography you've read or heard of is roughly the same. Which is the person was a beginner as a baby and didn't really have much to them. And then you have a couple of boring chapters where they basically say, well, my dad was like this, and my mom was like this, and my grandpa was like this. But then there comes the, begins to come a moment where the public thing that they do that you know them for, which is why you bought the book, becomes a big part of their life. So if it's a footballer, that's in their 20s, or maybe in their late teens. If they're a politician, it might not be till their 50s or 60s. But the reason you bought the book is because you wanted to hear about this bit. They're blooming, their success, they're thriving. So they began nothing. Up, 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 huge success and public adoration. And then the corner turns at some age, and it depends on the career which. And then after that, they're just not really doing it anymore. And then eventually they went into the ground and died. And that's the shape of every biography you've read, except the four biographies of Jesus Christ that appear in the Bible, in which case you get the exact opposite shape, which is God takes on flesh in very nature God. He does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he comes to the earth and makes himself nothing. And he is rejected and despised by people. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he is arrested, he is betrayed, he is violated, he's tortured, he's humiliated, he's executed, and then he's buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. And he ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And everybody else's story goes like that. And Jesus' story goes like this. And as he does that, he takes everybody with him. And the story of scripture is shaped like a story as well. Is shaped like a comedy as well. Because the Bible, if you notice, begins with image of God, walking with God in the cool of the day. And then turns sour with a terrible betrayal. The marriage, if you like, between God and humanity breaks down through humanity's betrayal. And then it all unravels. But then Jesus comes and begins to lift us out. He rises from the dead. And by the time the Holy Spirit has been poured out and taken us through history, the Bible ends with a wedding. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the bride of Christ coming down, beautifully dressed for her husband. And the whole biblical story is shaped like a smile, shaped like a comedy. So from most perspectives, a lot of people in the city, really, the life we lead now, especially if you are young and fit and rich and beautiful, as of course I am, but if you're in that sort of centerpiece of your life, then you say, this is the best it ever gets. From a Christian perspective, the life we lead now is the worst it ever gets, and it's uphill and on into glory forever. It's a totally different type of of story. And that story and outline is what we have just enacted as we baptize these people. I don't know if you noticed that as we did. It's just a, such a beautiful, powerful picture of the Christian message. Because what we enacted just now was down and then up. That's what they did. They all walked in. They went down some steps, stood at the bottom. Jesus is Lord. Down. Up. Up and out. New life. Down, then up. Burial, then resurrection. Life Death, burial, new life, resurrection forever. Unless a person goes into the water and dies, they remain alone. But if they bury, 
and then they rise again to new life, they will bear much, much, much fruit. And that is the prayer we've just been praying for them. That's exactly why we do it like this. Now, that's not how most organizations initiate people. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, hi, welcome to the family. You're dead. That's a very weird thing to do to these people. That's what we've just done. And it's a very strange ceremony if you don't understand the shape of the Christian story and the smile rather than the frown. Because most, most institutions initiate people in the shape of a frown. You basically go, this is the high point. right? So, new football manager is appointed. And there's a photo shoot at whatever it is, Stanford Bridge equivalent, and they're standing on the ground, and people are gathering around with cameras, big picture of them smiling, big shirts next to them. Yes, okay, I'm going to be the new manager of these guys. Might even be wearing the shirts. And then they've got lots of pictures, lots of studies in the back of the paper. What's he going to spend the money on? He's going to have this many millions of pounds, and I'm sure he's going to be targeting that guy from AC Milan or from Barcelona or whatever. And he's all these opportunities and all of these great things that he's going to want to buy. And then within a few months or years, depending on how well he does, we and Jose have decided to part ways. And as a Liverpool fan, I'm like, and good riddance. But even if I wasn't, you know, we've decided to part. It, it's, we thank him for his service to the club. It all ends in tragedy, right? Same with a prime minister. Prime Minister wins an election, you might like them, you might dislike them, but the chances are the images on the front page of the paper will have them smiling, waving. Mrs. May, Mrs. May, can we get a comment? At the end, all political careers end in failure. That's the, that's the quote, isn't it? That's what they always say. And you see, that's the way that we do it in any kind of frown-shaped, tragedy-shaped story, because we know it's going to end badly, so we make as much as we can of the moments when it's not. In Christianity, we do the exact opposite. We say, welcome to the family, burial, and then bring them up as a way of saying this death is the end of something and the start of something new. This is the low point in the smile, and that's the life you lead now, but it is heading somewhere truly beautiful. But in recognition of the fact you have to fall into the ground and die in order to bear much fruit, we're going to bury you as part of our ceremony. We're going to baptize you in water. Down, then up. Burial, then resurrection. Friday, then Sunday, falling into the ground, then bearing much fruit. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity. It's a longish quote, but it's good. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I haven't come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. We're all trying to let our mind and our heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle can't produce figs. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I can't produce wheat. Cutting the grass might keep it short, but I'll still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And in a manner of speaking, that's just what we've done. We have taken these wonderful people into the water. We have plowed them up in the name of Jesus and we sown them because we're admitting that there is something more broken with us than can be fixed by the hot yoga and the nice latte at Starbucks and a different way of looking at things. We need new life. We need to fall into the ground and die in order that we may bear much fruit. And that's why we celebrate burials. And I just it's so, so beautiful that 
of the nine people being, uh, if you like, baptized across the church today in different sites, different meetings. Uh, one of the, the one came to speak to me recently, just said, actually, when I first, do you remember when I first heard you preach? I came up, I was really angry with you for what you said. And I remember it. I was about six, eight months ago, and I thought, man, this is, this person has not enjoyed this experience, and they are cross with me for what they've said. And then this person said, and what I've seen over the last six months has completely changed my life. Jesus has totally changed me, and I'm going to get baptized in two weeks. And as I heard it, I just thought, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Somebody's going, I've got, this is what I've got, and I'm going to have to die to it, but Jesus is going to give me something better. He's going to give me a new life that comes out of it. Praise God. And that's the shape of the Christian story. And we've just enacted it right across the church all these different times. The only reason it works is because Jesus has risen from the dead himself. You see, if you didn't have the resurrection, then this would be, it would like be drowning people instead of baptizing them. Right? It'd be like you go down into death and then you stay there. It would not be a comedy at all. It would actually be half a comedy, which is worse than a tragedy because there's no up at all. See, if Jesus was still dead, then every Christian, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, you know, we put him down and he didn't come up again, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because we are inviting people to die and then not giving them life. We're saying, we'll bury you and there's no resurrection. We'll ask you to give up everything and give you nothing back. And then he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead as the first fruits of all the people who have died or fallen asleep and the tomb was empty, and the grave couldn't hold him, and death itself is now working backwards, and that means that what has happened to Jesus in dying, waiting, rising again, is what has, is happening right now to these people, as we're enacting this, that they die, and then they come up new, and it's also what's going to happen, not just to the Christian, but to the whole of creation, because the Christian gospel isn't just about the person, it's actually about the whole world being made new. And that's why the Bible ends with these statements like, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We didn't need them anymore. Because the whole world is being renewed and buried and then in order that it might find new life and redemption and restoration. Jesus is the template for everything. You know, Jesus does it and therefore it happens to us and it happens to the world. He's the forerunner. And his pattern shapes everyone else. He goes down into the ground and dies, and then he rises. And in doing so, he bears much fruit. He is beaten and humiliated and executed on Friday, but then he's victorious on Sunday. And in the same way, we as followers go down into the waters, whether you've just done it in the last few minutes, or whether you did that 60, 70, 80 years ago. You have enacted the story. You've gone down into the ground, the waters... And you've ended up rising again in order that you would bear much fruit. And creation itself does the same thing. It's blighted right now by sin and death. And you look around you, there's plenty of evidence. But creation itself will be redeemed into the freedom of the children of God. And the story ends, heaven and earth are married, a bride beautifully dressed for the husband. The story ends with a wedding march and not a funeral march. And the only funeral is the funeral of death and Hades. Where, O oh, death, is your victory and where, O oh, grave, is your sting? So Christianity is shaped like a comedy. But you've got to notice that doesn't mean that we're naive, I hope, about the reality of pain and suffering. If anything, I think it makes you less naive about the reality of pain and suffering for the simple reason that your, our story is a Christian story is I'm expecting that it's going to go down before it goes up. Whereas a lot of my friends who are not Christians would actually, in some ways, they say, I'm like life, but I'm expecting this now to be a high point of some sort. 
So actually, it's often Christians who've got that, I trust, that very a kind of a robust sense of expectation that things are going to be hard. So this is not a happy-go-lucky routine. It's not like, oh, well, let's make you all feel better by saying that everything's going to be fine if you come and follow Jesus. And actually, the apostles don't think like that at all. They say things like, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. Because they're expecting to go through this in order to get there. So it doesn't make you naive about it. My expectation of this life is actually probably that it's going to be harder than many of my friends think it is. But death leads to resurrection. Friday leads to Sunday. Falling into the ground leads to much fruit. Weeping may last for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. There's plenty of people here who aren't sure if this is true. And either, or maybe are sure that it isn't true and are being polite and hearing me out. And can I just say, if you are, thank you so much for doing that. It's incredibly, I think it's courageous and it's very actually open-minded and polite to do that. It's kind of you to be here and to hear out this kind of thing and say, I'm not sure if I think this is right or I might be pretty convinced it's not, but I'll just listen and see. I think that's wonderful and thank you so much for being here. I just want to, can I just give you one thing to think about? You're not going to remember most of what I said if any. Um, But one thing to think about, to conclude really, it's a short message like what I'm doing now. can't possibly convince you that Christianity is true. There's loads of questions, discussions, issues, things you'd want to read, questions you want to ask, debates you want to have, that you would have to go through before that. I can't convince you that the divine comedy is actually true. But my hope is that it might make you want it to be true. You might, on hearing this, say, I don't know if that's true or not, but I can at least see that if that were true, that would be good news. It would be good news that effectively the future of the human race and the planet was to be a comedy rather than a tragedy, that the world does end with a wedding rather than with a funeral, and I can participate in that. That would be good if it it was the case. I'm not sure if it is. In fact, I think there's plenty of reasons to think it isn't. But if it was, that would be great. And if you are at that place, if you go, do you know, I can see that this would be good news if it were true, I just invite you... Find out if it actually is. Take a step to find out if it actually is. That's what the Alpha course, which you heard about earlier, is for. It's a way of trying to make it as easy as possible for people to eat and talk and find out if these things are true. They might not be, in which case you can go, okay, leave it. But if they are, it would make all the difference in the world to the way you see the shape of your life, the way you see the shape of the world. So you may not be convinced and have plenty of objections and questions, but find out. And Alpha is a great context in which to do that on the 4th of October. And if you are a Christian here today, then whether things are going well for you at the moment or really, really hard for you at the moment, it is helpful to remember that in the end, life is shaped like a smile. Some of us today are walking on sunshine. Some of us today are walking on eggshells. Some of us are walking on broken glass. But Jesus never said it would be easy this side of the grave, and his life wasn't a picnic either. But he did say one thing that turns the tragedy of death and carpe diem and YOLO and all the rest on their heads. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life for my sake and the gospels will find it and keep it for eternal life. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the cross and resurrection, which makes all the difference in the world to our hope, to our daily lives, 
to the shape of history in this world, Lord. We are thankful for Jesus. Thank you that you have not just talked a good game, but you have actually become one of us. You have got your hands dirty. You have taken the worst the world has to offer, and you've come through the other side victorious and smiling. Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus. We thank you for sending him to us, and we thank you for incorporating yet another four people in this room into the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for your glorious, beautiful love to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.